This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. So many places to begin. There were only three games last night, but the biggest one to me, maybe because I was there, maybe because there's been so much desperation around the Rangers, is the Rangers' 6-4 to win over the Golden Knights. And I'm going to start with the Golden Knights because it was the first time I saw them live. I'm really impressed by them, I am. I, they're on their fourth goaltender now. Uh, Max Legacy, I thought he was outstanding, making 17 saves in the second period. Had a tremendous pad save on a deflection uh, attempt by VC, But it was just too much, and the Rangers scored the four goals in the last 15 minutes to win the game. But they had a 4-2 lead after 40 minutes of play. And watching them, and, and I, it's something to talk about, and I, I, I talked a little bit about it with Rick TPH when I saw him this morning coming into work, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as well if you want to talk about it in future podcasts at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct, of how well-coached Vegas is. Now, we know Gerard Gallant is an excellent coach, but when you look at the Golden Knights roster, I would think it's a very easy roster to coach. They don't have any superstars. They've got a lot of nice players. Neil's a nice player. Uh, certainly, Marsha Show is a nice player. Uh, I think Riley Smith is a very good player. But they don't have any superstars, right? They don't have an Alexander Ovechkin, a Sidney Crosby, a Yemeni Malkin. They don't even have a, a Johnny Gaudreau. They don't have a guys with a tremendous amount of talent. So they're all going to follow the structure and the system. And just watching them, they just looked exceptionally well coached, especially on the power play. Everybody's in the right position. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, accentuating their roles. It makes them a very difficult team to beat. And I just I envy Gerard Gallant because he's at a stage now in his career that he's established himself as a really good coach, and he's got a roster that is very easy to manage. And it was just fun to watch them play. And they've got a lot of grinders. They play hard. They never give up. And, I mean, eventually the worm is going to turn, and you can't win eight of every ten games that you play. They're not that good of a team, and, and now with this goaltending issue, it's eventually going to rear its ugly head, and spending so much time on the road as they are here in the early portion of November is also going to come back and bite them, but I was very impressed with the team. A lot of nice players on that team, very well coached, and there was a collapse certainly in the, in the third period that we'll get to in a second, but still very impressed watching the Golden Knights for the first time. Also, something that of all the hockey that I've watched, I've never seen, and that is a player take the same penalty in the same sequence twice. Uh, it happened to Perron in the third period. It really opened the door for the comeback, quite honestly. Perron takes a tripping penalty, and during the delayed penalty, he trips Bushnevich. So he goes into the box twice for tripping. And everybody in the building thought that that was going to be a two-minute five-on-three. But instead, it ended up being a four-minute penalty. I wonder if the league would ever address in that situation whether you can give the team the choice on whether they want the two-minute five-on-three or the four-minute penalty. I I don't know why it's a four-minute penalty. You could have probably put somebody in the box representing Perron for the five-on-three. Either way, in that first two minutes, Kreider scores, makes it 4-3, and then the, the, the ball started rolling. So it ended up being a major turning point in the game. Now let's talk about the Rangers. You should have felt what that building was like after two periods of play. They're down 4-2, and you really just got a sense like this. these next 20 minutes are going to be a major turning point for this team. They're either going to go down, another loss at home, and maybe with all the swirling around Elaine Vigneault, that if there was going to be a time to maybe make a change or do something drastic, it would come off a loss like that. 
and then they respond. As I mentioned, Kreider scores the goal to make it 4-3 on the power play. Zabanajad scores a goal a, a little bit later on on the power play to tie it. Bushnevich off a great feed from Zabanajad. So it was the Mika Zabanajad show, and they eventually get the empty net or win the game 6-4 on the Grabner tally that maybe did save A.V.'s job. I don't know. I, I haven't heard. Although did, talking to people, it does seem a little bogus, all those scouts that were in Ottawa. Let's not get crazy. Um, so there's probably not a major trade with the Senators coming, by the way. But the the sense that if A.V. is coaching for his job, losing to Vegas in the fashion that it looked like they were going to lose might not be something to get up from if you believe those stories. And the fact that they came back in the fashion that they did maybe can be a bit of a game saver. Now, certainly we should acknowledge the tragedy that happened in lower Manhattan earlier in the day. Eight people's lives were taken. Certainly, as we talk about on the Michael K. Show, sports is the toy store. So you acknowledge those things that happen and you, you try to move on from it. But you never forget the events that had taken place. But this particularly touched the Rangers, and I didn't realize it until after the game. We interviewed Mika Zibanejad, and he openly said that this was this this game took on a deeper meaning, a bigger meaning. And on the surface, you could think, well, maybe it's because of the rumors swirling around AV. They felt like they had to win. No, no, no. It was because of what happened in lower Manhattan. Because even though none of these players are from New York, Many of them live in Manhattan. Henrik Lundqvist mentioned after the game that not all of his family was necessarily accounted for when he got to the arena after the tragedy. So he lives in Tribeca. He lives in that area. He is a New Yorker. He's been in New York and has lived on the island of Manhattan since he got here. So that touched a lot of those Rangers. They represent the city. They realize they're playing in an arena that's not far from where the tragedy had taken place, that there might be people that were going to be going to that game that didn't because of what had happened. So they took that to the ice, and they felt like they wanted to represent the name on their jersey in the city in which they play. So that did mean a lot to those players, and they did take it with them on the ice. And maybe it did explain the slow start. But I don't want to trivialize it by relating it directly to the outcome of a game, but just to translate to you or to express to you the fact that Mika Zibanejad, Henrik Lundqvist, Matt Zuccarello, guys that are not from this country, that were not born New Yorkers, who now have become New Yorkers, who understand how much they represent the city of New York and how that tragedy touched them as they took the ice last night. So it was interesting to hear their perspective. It wasn't about a great comeback. It wasn't about a win that might have saved their coach their job. It was about a win representing their city, doing what little they could just hours after another a terrorist attack here in New York. And, and again, not to get overly political, and this is the toy store. You go to these podcasts to get away from the news, but this is happening way too often. But we continue to march on. From what I understand this morning, there were still people in that area riding their bikes, walking their dogs. We cannot be stopped. So we take on these tragedies. We mourn the people that died. We fight to make sure these things don't happen again. But if, whether it is a group of people or one individual that thinks that they're going to disrupt our lives and stop us being what we are, another example on how they miserably fail at that because we will not be stopped being Americans. We will not be stopped being what we need to be and do what we need to do. And I think that's very, very important. 
Um, back to hockey, Red Wings with a victory over the Coyotes, 5-3. to three. Tough spot for the Coyotes. They pick up their first win of the season in Philadelphia, but then have to go to Detroit. Still trying to figure out the Red Wings. I, I guess you're average for a reason, right? I mean, I, I guess the, there is that up and down, but they did have uh, five different goal scorers in the game last night. Helm gets his second. Um, also, Larkin gets his second. Um, Manthro, who's had a, a good season, gets his fifth. Uh, Nyquist and Glendening get tallies as well as uh, the Red Wings pick up uh, an important two points to get back to 500 at 6-6-1. Six, six, and, and, and a nice win for Winnipeg. Give the Jets some credit. We haven't talked about the Jets much, but they're 6-3-1. and one. Came uh, six three and two, excuse me. Came off that amazing seven goal barrage over the weekend against Pittsburgh. Uh, they go to Minnesota and they hold on to a lead. Uh, uh, Kyle Connor gives them a one to nothing lead in the second period. Uh, Ehlers, who is somebody you really got to acknowledge, he is he's on their top line. He's having a tremendous season with seven goals. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, forty three seconds into the third, makes it uh, two nothing. But then five minutes later. Uh, Minnesota gets the goal to make it 2-1, but the Wild hold on. Uh, a real nice win for them. The Wild had 29 shots on goal. Winnipeg just had 19, so a good job by Minnesota to limit the opportunities. But at the end of the day, uh, Hellebuck goes out there and allows just the one goal. Uh, eight shots on goal on the power play for Minnesota in that one. Uh, eight saves for Hellebuck in that situation. So a nice win for the Winnipeg Jets, 2-1, to one, uh, the final score there. A uh, bunch of Wednesday night games. Of course, the Wednesday night rivalry, Philadelphia at Chicago, rematch of the 2010 Stanley Cup Final. Uh, Blackhawks still trying to find their way at 5-2-2. Two, and two. Philadelphia reeling after losing that game in overtime to Arizona, although fighting back. Uh, so interesting to watch that game. I, could, I suspect there'll be a lot of goals scored. Uh, maybe one of the best games of the night at 8.30, Edmonton home for the Pittsburgh Penguins. First of all, Edmonton trying to figure it out, just three wins in their first ten games. Uh, Pittsburgh, I guess the good news for them, it's not the second of back-to-back, so they should be uh, certainly better than they've been in the four scenarios in which they play the second of back-to-back and are 0-4 and have given up something like 30 goals in that span. But really the, the story in this one is Connor McDavid versus Sidney Crosby. Uh, number 87 versus number 97 so that the, the numbers that they wear represent the year they were born so 10 years of difference in hockey but we're talking about two of the best players in the NHL so that should be a lot of fun Devils start what I think is a very important road trip in Vancouver against the Canucks they've got the three games out in western Canada they'll play Vancouver Edmonton and Calgary and then come home to play St. Louis so the Devils who have won eight of their first 10 this will be a nice test against the Canucks team that has played tremendously well we've talked a lot about them at 6-3-2, and two. and the Maple Leafs continue their western swing. They'll begin Anaheim to take on the Ducks. They lost to San Jose the other night. Now we'll take on a Duck team that's banged up but trying to do what they can do at 6-4, and four. and a Predators team that's been very average at 5-4-2, and two. very up and down for Nashville. They'll be in San Jose to take on a Sharks team that's won a couple of games in a row. They've climbed back to above 500 and trying to prove a lot of people wrong. I don't think that they are a team necessarily – that is going to the playoffs. I did not have San Jose going to the playoffs, but they're starting to play a little bit better, and we'll see if that continues tonight uh, out uh, at home um, against the Nashville Predators. All right, let's hear from you at Don LaGreca. Hashtag game misconduct. A lot of people uh, want to discuss everything that's going on in the world of the National Hockey League. Uh, Zachary says, with McDonough's contract up next year, do you think the Rangers will shop him this year and next year or resign him? He's not going anywhere. Uh, I think they're committed to him. Uh, when you look at their blue line, there's a lot of young players on it. Well, guys like Shea, 
But uh, I, I take that back. There isn't a lot of young guys on the team because, you know, Holden is what he is. Smith, they just re-signed him, but he's not a, a young player per se. Uh, D'Angelo is someone that's down in the minor leagues, but they believe he'll be a part of what this team's moving forward. Stahl is older. Um, Brian McDonough is the captain of this team. Uh, only five other players have made played more games as captain than Ryan McDonough. Uh, he is not going to be shopped. He's not going anywhere. I think he is a part of what is going to be the future of the New York Rangers. Five minute major says, "I'm going to the gym today. Will enjoy my workout with two episodes of Game Misconduct and Pucks in Deep. So enjoy those. I got a chance to hang with Five Minute Major yesterday. He said he's put all of his Ranger stuff away until this team can finally turn it around. But it was good chatting with him between uh, the second and third period. And if you're ever going to Madison Square Garden, I will swing by and say hello. Because if you guys are nice enough to listen to my podcast, I should be nice enough to swing by and say hello to you. Alexander says... um, uh, by the way, great game to be at last night. Vegas is fun to watch. I just outlined Alexander why I think they're so well coached and they're very, very good to watch. I think this team has a shot to make the playoffs. I think they do. When you look how wide open the Western Conference is, some teams off to slow starts. But this wet, this trip east, I think, will be very much an indicator of how good they're going to be down the road. John Shepard says, uh, checking in on my Hawks again, you mentioned your Isles. Uh, connection with John Wideman, any chance of getting him on the show? I'd love to talk to John Wideman. He's a very busy person, by the way. But I think he's one of the best play-by-play guys in the league. Uh, if you didn't know the story, uh, he was an Islander play-by-play guy when when um, ESPN Radio first started in New York. We were on 1050. And the two first contracts we signed with teams when ESPN launched back in 2001 Army football and Islander hockey. And John Wideman and Chris King had the call. Chris King did the analysis, and John Wideman did the play-by-play. John eventually got the job with the Chicago Blackhawks, and we became very friendly because I'd always been out on the island and doing shows at uh, that Marriott across the street from the Coliseum, and John was always nice to come on my show. Great point. I will get in touch with John as soon as I can. And uh, the Rangers have a game coming up with the Blackhawks next week, so maybe I'll reconnect with him. Uh, I'd love to get John Wideman on the show. He's got a lot of great stories. Did the Flyers back in the day? Islanders now, of course, killing it with the Blackhawks, and he could not could not have better timing climbing on the board with the Blackhawks. He's been able to call not one, not two, but three Stanley Cup champions for that team since he's been the radio play by play voice. Uh, guy says a win is a win. I'll take it. Why was Perron given four minutes instead of the Rangers getting a five on three? Two separate infractions. I scoured the rule book, couldn't find any answer. I will tell you this, so you won't feel bad. The encyclopedia of all sports is Kenny Albert, and he wasn't sure why they weren't given a five-on-three. Um, again, you could say, well, Perron committed both penalties. You can't put somebody else in the box, but when a goaltender commits a penalty, you can put somebody else in the box. When there's too many men on the ice, you can put somebody else in the box, but I guess that's the rule. It's so rare that it's honestly, in all the years I've been watching hockey for 30 years, and Kenny has called over a 1,000 Ranger games and how many more he's called on television and radio for other teams and other networks, said he had never seen it before. So it's kind of odd. I don't think they did the wrong thing, but certainly um, it probably should have been a five-on-three. Rangers scored on it anyway and ended up being the turning point of the game. Uh, Shorty asks an interesting question. What are some of your favorite goal songs? Good one. The Fratellis in Chicago is great. When the Saints come marching in in St. Louis, that's a terrific goal song. Those are two of the ones that pop into my head. I think 
some teams kind of go at the same rock and roll part two. But I do think that those are the two that are most imaginative. Um, of course, Brass Bonanza with the Hartford Whalers, that was the best. But unfortunately, Hartford, at least right now, no longer with us. Uh, Rich says, NBC not showing Edmonton-Pittsburgh tomorrow, which is today. How can they miss a golden opportunity to showcase league top talent uh, second in a week? Well, first of all, you got Philadelphia and Chicago. So let's talk about it from a rating standpoint for NBC. You're going to get a better number with the Chicago market and the Philadelphia market. Those are two passionate hockey towns, so you can understand why they're sticking with that. Also, little inside radio for you. Whenever NBC Sportsnet calls a West Coast game or a Western Conference team, in this case Edmonton that's got the two-hour time difference, when they do broadcast those games, unless it's the playoffs, they're usually going to give you the uh, the the, feed, the local feed. They're not going to do that for Wednesday Night Rivalry. That's one of the, the crown jewels that NBC Sportsnet has for hockey. And with the 8.30 start time locally for Edmonton, that w- they would have to make it a 6 o'clock start time for it to be 8 o'clock for uh, the East Coast. So I don't think they want to do that to the Edmonton fans and have a game that usually is scheduled 7.30 local time for them being at 6. Plus, you've got Eddie's schedule. Um, let me take a look at when the Blackhawks play again. <laughs> when the Blackhawks play again. They don't play tomorrow. So do they play Friday? Most likely. No, they don't play Friday. So that doesn't necessarily apply. But I will tell you this. For somebody that has called games in Edmonton, this is not the easiest place to get to or leave. Okay? Not a lot of connect, not a lot of direct flights unless you're going to continue to fly in Canada. If I want to go to Toronto, I can get a direct flight from Edmonton to Toronto. If I want to go to Vancouver, I can get a direct flight. If I want to get back to the States, even to New York, all right, I've called games in Edmonton, and the best flight that I can get would be to fly to at like six o'clock in the morning the next day to fly to Toronto and then Toronto back to New York. Uh, last year, I think when I did my game in Edmonton, I flew to Minnesota and then back home. Point is, is that I don't know if Doc and Eddie want to really spend the entire next day traveling home. Doc Emmerich, at this stage of his career, does he want to call a game in Edmonton, as great as it would be, and in order for him to be able to get back home into Michigan, probably spend the entire next day getting home? I don't think so. So that's a little inside radio for you, but I think that they're going to stick with Chicago and Philadelphia tonight. Uh, James says, no need to make the pod shorter. 20 to 30 minutes per day is perfect. Leave them wanting more. Well, that's what they always say about bands, right, is you want to leave a couple of songs early so they chant your name rather than saying, when are they finally going to be done? Uh, Yak Attack says, Don, game misconduct. Whether you answer this on the podcast or now, why is no one looking at why Lindy Ruff is Rangers defensive coach? Uh, he said, isn't, and did he continue? Um, I guess he didn't continue with his tweet. It says, and, and then it stops, and I don't see another tweet. So I'm not. that's too incomplete for me to finish. He is in charge. Why he's in charge, he's been around forever. He certainly knows what he's doing. So I'm not sure that the, that is a misguided position for him to be in. Arneal handles the power play. Allaire handles the goaltenders. That spot has been handled for the defensive guys, and that's uh, that's what he's doing. 
Uh, but if you want to finish that tweet, because it got cut off, and I don't see another one here. Uh, Jeff D. says, as a Ranger lifer, they have beaten the so-called weaker teams. AV, AV isn't to blame as much as I feel the team itself. Thank you, Jeff. I've been saying it since uh, the season started. This is not a coaching problem. To me, it's a personnel problem. But at the same time, when I say personnel problem, that is not a shot at Gordon. It's just that when you keep going for it and you put yourself in a salary cap situation where you have a lot of money allocated to Nash, you have a lot of money allocated to Lundquist, they are of a certain age and production level right now that where maybe you can make the case they're making too much money for what they can bring to the table at this particular point in their careers, it makes it a roster problem. All right, they they have drafted pretty well, but listen, you make the St. Louis deal because you want to win a cup in 14. You make the Yandel deal because you want to win a cup in 15. You make the Brassard deal because of the cap situation. You make the Haglin trade because of the cap situation. All right? You make the Stepan deal because of the cap situation. So that's just in a cap world and you try to go for it and you're trying to burn the candle at both ends, that's what ends up happening to you. So I don't believe that the management's to blame. I don't think the coach is to blame. I think the circumstances are to blame for when you try to continue to go for it. Look what happened with Chicago. Chicago's won three Stanley Cups, but look at the personnel they were forced to lose over that period of time because of the cap situations. Dustin Bufflin did not return. Andrew Ladd left and came back and then left again. There's a lot of players. Uh, Brandon Saad left and, and came back. Um, there has been a lot of movement in Chicago, despite the fact that they've been able to stay successful because when you have a lot of talented players and you continue to go for it and you continue to make trades in the now, it is certainly going to affect you. I don't see a coaching issue. However, when you get off to a real slow start, sometimes you do the only thing that you can do. There's no blockbuster trade to make. There's nothing else to do sometimes but to fire the coach. And A.V. is in that situation entering his fifth year when the expiration date on coaches sometimes do elapse. And that's why I think this is a conversation. So do I think Elaine Vigneault deserves to be fired? No. Do I think he will be fired? If I had to guess, I'd say no. But if it does continue a downward spiral, and tomorrow's going to be very interesting because they're going up against the best team in the league in the Lightning – where they could be right back to square one if they lose again, especially if they get blown out, is it possible that sometimes you push the only button there's available to push? And that could happen to Elaine Vigneault. Not hearing anything, not seeing it happening immediately, but at the same time, they won't continue to play this way without there being some sort of a move. So we'll see if the Rangers can get off the mat. That was a huge, a huge victory last night and a come from behind win as well in the third period but it really doesn't matter that much if you can't feed off of it and win a few in a row as i told you before get back to nhl 500 and then you could start focusing on trying to make the playoffs but there's still a lot of work still three games under nhl 500 and we'll see what they do coming up on thursday well speaking of tomorrow. I'll be doing it live from MetLife Stadium. I don't know if RJ realizes that, but if he does the math, he'll realize that I have to do it from MetLife Stadium. I just said RJ's name and he flinched because he thought I was going to ask him about his Sabres. And I would ask RJ about his Sabres, but as many other Buffalo fans will tell you, nerves are very, very raw. And if if RJ had to press a button right now, if he was forced in the next 30 seconds to make a decision on whether to give up on his team or move forward, he might hit the the drop button he might 
then he might bail out. He He's this close, RJ. Is that true? That he, You're this close to bailing on the team. You won't do it, but gun to your head, 30 seconds to make a decision. The, at, in the mood that you are right now, you would be jumping off the Sabre airplane hoping that the parachute opened. RJ can't answer that question. Uh, no, we're going to leave this in the podcast, RJ, because I, I think your silence, your inability to answer the question speaks volumes. Right now he's running the Stephen A. Smith show if you want more inside radio, and he can't verbally answer me, but just the, the pain on his face tells me that his sabers are crushing his soul. And if you've ever seen RJ's soul, it is vibrant, it is beautiful, it is glowing. And the Sabres are extinguishing it as we speak. And I'm sure a lot of other Buffalo Sabre fans feel the same way about their team. So I'll be live from MetLife Stadium because the Jets are playing the Bills on Thursday night football. And we're doing the Michael K show from there. So I'll be out in East Rutherford doing um, the game misconduct. But it needs to be done because we've got a lot of games to recap and a lot of games to preview going into Thursday night. So we'll be back with you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Definitely continue to contribute at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. The fans out there of hockey are great. And thank you so much for giving us a couple of minutes. We really appreciate it. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York. And worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct podcast on the ESPN app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.